these guys survived the David Kahn era of Timberwolves basketball and live to tell about it. It's Flagrant Howls. We're back. We're back, boys. Back where we belong. At the top of the Western Conference standings this morning. Got our OG Wolves guy, Judd, the sports dad. Got Dex celebrating Royal Rumble weekend with his D-Generation X shirt. Come on, X-Pac. Come out and give me, give me a pop-up. Right. off. I will pop off the couch if X-Pac shows up. Let's make it happen. Uh, but the Wolves, by beating another bad team last night, the Nets, where neither team got to 100 points in that game, just a grind. A very, like, 90s basketball score. 97, was it 96, 94? Yes. I think, like yes, that. and the Wolves almost blew it, and and uh, um, McDaniels fouled um, uh, a Nets player late, and he, of course, well, he, he missed the first free throw, so it, it was Bridges. He had to miss the second one, and uh, then the Nets got the ball back, but, of course, it went the Wolves' way. So There was, a, was really a, a Wolves way. defensive possession, though, late where Anthony Edwards spent half the shot clock just clamping. And in the middle of it, Jade McDaniels is looking over, like clapping for Ant during the possession, like, oh, this is, this is amazing. So they, I will say that, and, and we'll get to some, we're going to turn this into a, just to like a short Feedback Friday episode of Flagrant Howls. But the, sometimes they lose their way and they, you know, the Charlotte game the other night, they, they lost their way in every way that night. No defense. It was just all about trying to get Cat to score as many points as possible. But it it last night shows you, and it's it's the Brooklyn Nets. It's not a great team. Mm-hmm. I get it. But this team's calling card is to play clamps defense. Mm-hmm. And they can do it again. They did it against in that loss against Oklahoma City a couple weeks ago. They played clamps or last weekend, whenever that was. Yep. So that's that's the one thing here, especially Mike Mike Conley was back in the lineup for 33 minutes again last night, so you had your adult back on the floor. But no matter how choppy these waters get and no matter how sort of bleak things look offensively when your top two guys, Cat and Anthony Edwards, aren't scoring, this team is the best defensive team in the NBA, defensive net rating, as we sit here now, uh, what, 45 games into the season. And so that's their calling card. And I think that was what was so shocking about the Charlotte loss was that, that Charlotte hit every shot it wanted. Like, I, I think that's the, of, of all of the startling, jarring things, right? I think it was Charlotte's ability to score at will because one, they're really bad. But it's not, it, it's not startling to me because they didn't, the Wolves didn't exert themselves on defense right. that night. It's like, right. we know for why the most it part, happened. To their credit, for the most part, they do. Like, they, they, they've got enough. And they will, and I know this, like, I'm going to say this and I'm, I'm letting them off the hook for taking nights off defensively. And I get that, but it is an 82 game season. I think sometimes guys get bored in January and are like, I'm going to try and score 60 tonight or whatever. Or Anthony Edwards is going to try and shoot 28 times. But at the end of the day, if this team gets into a playoff series, they're not going to just like take five games off defensively. It'll be, it'll be go all out defensively, get a day off, maybe two days off, go all out defensively again. So offense is going to remain the biggest thing in the next couple of weeks before the trade deadline. Can they, can they add somebody else or fix something schematically that, that just leads to more opportunities when it's not Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns? And I, I think in these past two games, there have definitely the, the win against Washington a couple nights ago and then the back-to-back against Brooklyn. I think that there are definitely some things that are off 
kilter. But the nice thing is that they can they can get by now, which previous Wolves teams couldn't. They can get by, they can win, they can fix them. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's the the luxury, if if you can call it that, is for the most part, aside from the Hawks meltdown, which was what, the second or third game of the season, and then the game against Charlotte, for the most part, this team is good enough to push through that stuff. But it also gives Finch a golden opportunity to probably privately harp on fixing things, which is not a bad thing in a long season. Yeah. And like play, playing Clamps defense is their calling card. And there's just going to be nights where the like that Pelicans game a few weeks ago, I went to like the Pelicans shot like 65% from the floor. They were just hitting everything. Everything was just dropping. Like you're, 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 you're going to run into every fifth or sixth game where a team is just hot and you might be even playing good defense and the ball's dropping that way. So the fact they're playing, I think, really good defense as their calling card, I think can still get them by and, and push them over in playoff series to make a run. And think about this, like it kind of feels like the last couple of weeks, the sky is falling a little bit. They fell out of first place for a minute in the Western Conference standings. They've had that <laughs> embarrassing loss to to Charlotte. You know, they've they've had uh, they've just looked they've looked off the last couple of weeks. I think it's fair to say they've just they've looked off the last couple of weeks. Yep. They're six and two over that stretch. Yeah. And that goes to Judd's point where. Yeah, they can. They're gonna have the, no one in their right mind thought they were just gonna play a five or six month regular season and be aces the whole time and you know flirt with the Golden State Warriors single season wins point. But if you can, when you look clunky, and when you're clearly not playing at your best, and you can still just go six and two over an eight game stretch, the game before that was a loss at Boston on a back to back in which they traveled the day of the game and didn't have two of their five starters. And almost nine point lead with three minutes to go. Like, yeah, yeah. that was impressive, actually. So at some point they will start to click again. They do get Oklahoma. They do get San Antonio Saturday, a day off, and then a rematch against Oklahoma City on the road on Monday. So it'll be interesting. I've got some feedback for uh, for the group here. Nice. A few feedback questions. Robbie B says, Ant-Man, after the Wolves win against Memphis a week and a half ago, was asked, who's the one guy that can get him going when he's not really feeling it. This was the TNT game. Right. And his answer was slow-mo. Slow-mo. That in combination with seemingly being Finch's most trusted piece, does that make slow-mo a must-keep piece for these Timberwolves, like through the deadline, I mean, his contract's up at the end of the season? hmm It's a really interesting thing because when slow-mo's on the court, the Wolves' offense is among the worst in the NBA when you look at, like, points per 100 possessions. When he's off the court, the Wolves' offense is top six to seven in the NBA. So, I mean, he and, and some of it is maybe finding someone else that he can play off of. They don't because when he's on the court, sometimes Cat and or Ant are both off the court. So there's just fewer offensive options. But slow mo still brings a lot of great qualities. I mean, the leadership comment from Anthony Edwards should not be dismissed. He can mm-hmm. he can he can match up defensively against multiple different types of players. So they're going to have to make a decision here. If they want to add offense at the trade deadline, they don't have a lot of, because you have to match salaries within 25% on either side. And they don't have a lot of guys that you're going to trade. You're not trading any of your five starters. I don't think you're, I don't, you're not trading Nas. So, you know, slow-mo and shake Milton are like the only contracts you would look at. 
But is it worth giving up one of the heartbeat pieces of the locker room and a guy that at his best has been a great Swiss Army Knife player? I mean, they have a decision to make here in the next couple weeks. That's a great, yeah, that's a great point because you would like to say, well, then Conley can get Ant, you know, if Ant falls off, well, then Conley can step up. But, but you know, we all know that locker room dynamics can be sort of weird at times. So, like, if Ant says, slow-mo's my guy to, like, you know, you, you can't j- just say, well, well, you know, m- motivate yourself, which is what you'd like to say. Um, yeah, I, I would be very hesitant. If I was seriously mixed, uh, messing with the chemistry of this team, yeah, I would think long and hard about saying, yes, it would be great to add a score. We actually need to. But that being said, I'm not going to get rid of a guy that one of our star players clearly at the age of what, 21, 22, relies upon for whatever he needs. It's a great point. Love this one. Yeah. I mean, like you could, we brought this up with Doogie on one of the scoop sessions this week, Monte Morris was a five-year guard with the Nuggets under Tim Connolly. He was a key piece for them for a few years. He can shoot threes. He can score. He's classified as a point guard, but can can do a little of both. So he has a, He just came back and played. He had some injury issues. He came back and played his first game of the year with the Pistons a couple nights ago. So they're like putting him on display before the trade deadline. He has an expiring contract. He could come in here and be a backup to Mike Conley, and he could provide some scoring punch when needed. Well, he has a $9 million salary. You can't trade Shake Milton for Monte Morris and like Shake plus something else because Shake makes five. So you have, you have to find a way. Could you, I don't, is it, you know, maybe like a Dane Moore can do the cap stuff and uh, explain this, but like, I don't think you can acquire a Monte Morris without trading Kyle Anderson. Mm. If you're not willing to trade all these other guys, right? Mm -hmm. And would that even be enough of an upgrade? Okay, we're swapping out what Kyle brings for what Monte Morris brings, but you're also integrating a new player in and there's no guarantees. So, I mean, the buyout market would be if you, if like the San Antonio Spurs were to buy out Doug McDermott, for instance, and he's one of the best three point shooters in the league, you could play him 15 minutes a night, dude, go out there in 15 minutes and just unleash like four, three point attempts every single night. Go and, heat check. Yes. And give the bench <laughs> a scoring punch. Mm-hmm. And you would and you would be able to bring him in, um, you know, for minimum salary because the San Antonio Spurs, like there's been talk that they might buy him out. I think the buyout market would be your best option if you can find someone and keep Kyle Anderson, I guess, mm-hmm. is what I'm trying to say. So don't disagree. Yeah. We'll see. Hey, uh, question for me off of, of this. Why has Shake Milton been such a bust here? Yeah, it's a it's a great question, man. Um, he was always kind of streaky with Philadelphia, but Doogie's reporting on this is really interesting and in that he, Doogie has told us that shake tends to kind of get in his head for stretches. And I just wonder if he came in here, didn't know exactly what his role was and then struggled early. And if he's just kind of like mentally bleeped because he okay. looks hesitant when he's out there. Yeah. Yes. He's, um, it just hasn't worked. It hasn't worked, and he's and to the point where they don't even like. I think they're trying a couple times here and there lately. I don't think he played last night, but just to try and see if there's a spark, or even if if there's a spark for five seconds, can they use that to trade him somewhere? But yeah, he was supposed to be a guy that could come in and maybe play 15 minutes and give you some scoring punch off the bench, and he has. Right. He's been a DNP on most nights, unfortunately. 
Uh, Colin Revere says Mike Conley needs to be our Udonis Haslam. Be the guy that sets the culture and players learn from. I wonder if you could make that happen. Like, could Conley? He's he's still playing at a really high level, but could you just kind of stash him away for the next few years? Like, he'll he would still play quite a bit next year. But Udonis Haslam stayed as a member of the Heat roster as basically an assistant coach who would like would play five times a year for multiple years. Like he wasn't in their regular rotation for probably the last five years of his career in Miami. Right. I'd love to have Conley around for the next five years in some way. It'd be great. He's straight. I mean, just in watching him and like uh, he, he didn't play what in the Charlotte game, watching him on, on the bench, he does strike you as a guy who is definitely, if he wants to be head coaching material. Yeah. So, like, I could see him transitioning to assistant really quickly. Yep. I think you're right. He has, if he wants to be a head coach in the NBA at some point, you know, I mean, hell, if like Chauncey Billups, Steve Nash, all, the, say, all these yeah. like floor general yeah. guys mm-hmm. tend to get Jason Kidd, these guys get jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Terrence K says, Ant is a turnover machine. He's got a long way to go in that night wasn't de- good. department. What did he, he have him. last night? Well, I think he missed 10 consecutive shots at, well, he, at one point, that. too. So he's probably t- talking about the combination of trying to take countless shots and also turning over the ball at times. Yeah, he had, I guess he only had the three turnovers last night in 36 minutes. The, yeah, the eight for 23 from the field yeah. was definitely more offensive than. Yes, yes. And Dane, Dane actually tweeted out a, a great thing today with a clip saying that Ant's constant complaining and talking to, to officials as the Wolves transition to defense is becoming a problem. And then the clip showed Ant thought he got fouled. He's yakking at the ref, and the ball goes down the yeah. court. Nets player hits a three, and Ant is, like, just catching up. So, yeah, he's, gotta... he's still got to grow up in some ways. There's no question about that. Let's put the turnover thing into context for a second, though. So it is fair to say that, yes, he is one of the highest turnover players in the NBA. He's also one of the highest usage players in the NBA. So if you're if you're just handling the ball more often, you're going to probably turn the ball over. So I went and just looked this up because I saw this comment before we started the show here. If you sort by if you sort by turnovers, just just turnovers per game. Let's do it this way. It is legitimately like the best players in the NBA lead the NBA in turnovers per game because they are handling the ball the most often. So sure. Trey Young leads the NBA in turnovers. He's not the number one player in the league, but he's like a top 25 player. Then you have Luka is second in turnovers. Cade Cunningham, third. Giannis, Joel Embiid round out the top five in turnovers per game. And then Anthony Edwards comes in sixth, just ahead of LeBron James, Julius Randle, Sabonis, Banchero, Scoot Henderson, who's struggling as a rookie in Portland. He loves Scoot. And then uh, Victor Wembanyama, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and Nikola Jokic round out the top 15 in turnovers per game. So I just... I. I think Ant needs to fix his handle a little bit. There's some careless stuff where he's just like dribbling and loses loses but control. But he's going to lose the ball. I agree with this. He can fix some of that yes. next offseason going forward. Yes. But I think people act like, oh, he's got this huge turnover problem. Well, okay, but he averages fewer turnovers per game 
than Giannis and Joel Embiid and Trey Young, and he's right there with LeBron, Durant, Curry, and Jokic. Like those guys turn the ball over because yeah. they handle the ball all the time. I am far more concerned, potentially, especially in big games with his fourth quarter shot approach at times than, than his handling of the actual basketball. Yeah. Make play make plays for people. Right. Well, and, and understand. But look, I, I mean, this team. So I think the, the intriguing thing about this entire team is this. A year ago, they were as immature as possible. Like we saw it continually. They're getting teed up. They were pouting. They were whining. I mean, it got to a point where Glenn Taylor, Glenn Taylor said, we've got to cut down on the tees. We've got to be more, more mature. And of course, Chris Finch oh. ag- agreed. So now they are, but they're not a finished product yet. Like there are guys still, I mean, look, like it or not, Carl Anthony Towns is still not completely mature. I don't so, I, but I think he kind of is who he is at 28. No, I agree, but I'm a- just Anthony saying. Anthony Edwards has like five yeah. years of basketball growth. But, but this is why I think our conversations often revert back to why Mike Conley playing is so important. Yeah. And to that point, if you look at every Timberwolves player on the turnover front in terms of turnover rate, so so turnover percentage as opposed to just, you know, the sheer turnovers per game, sure. Mike Conley leads the team with the lowest turnover percentage. Nas Reed is second on that list. The biggest yeah. turnover percentage culprits Kyle Anderson by a mile. Slow-mo tends to get picked a little bit or he'll, you know, he's make slow-mo. a careless pass. Yeah. Then it's Carl Anthony Towns is the second biggest turnover rate culprit. Yes, Nikhil Alexander-Walker. And by the way, for Cat, it's offense, offensive fouls or turnovers. And I, it, I don't have it in front of me, but yep. think about how many charges. And, and then Anthony Edwards is, is behind those guys. So, you know, high usage players turn the ball over. That's, okay. that's part of the story. Just one request again. It's been made before, but Carl, can you please stop with the blind, over your head, blind passes? <laughs> Does that not drive you crazy? Like once in a while it works and it looks cool, but he, I've seen him do it more of late. It feels like ball sailing out of bounds. <laughs> Guys are like he diving to try to save it. He does get a little squirrely sometimes. Yeah. Uh, okay. D- wow. This is like a therapy session. So Daniel Sharp has one here too. It's, on the negative side, I don't care what anyone says. The Wolves won't go anywhere in the playoffs. This offense is terrible, and when it's not terrible, they turn the ball over uh, like it's a bodily function. Farting turnover. <laughs> Spewing turnovers. Mm. They've got basketball Eesh. IBS is what they have. So, Daniel, here's where I disagree with you, that they won't go anywhere in the playoffs. They have the number one defense in the NBA still today. We're more than halfway through the season. It is not a fluke. This team plays clamps defense. They did it again last night. They've done it multiple times this week, even though their offense hasn't, I should say, multiple times the last couple weeks, uh, Oklahoma City being one of those games. Sure. The number one defense in the regular season historically performs very well in the playoffs. So the last 30 years, 87% of the number one defenses advance past the first round in the playoffs. 70% make the conference finals. 35% make the NBA finals and 23% of the number one defenses win the championship. So now a lot of those number one defenses had better offenses than this year's Timberwolves team. So 
the Wolves are probably going to come underneath some of these percentages when you account for the fact that their offense is just kind of meh. But the fact that just having the number one defense in the NBA the last 30 years gets you at least past the first round almost 90% of the time, I don't think we should ignore that. They're going to make life hell for somebody in a seven-game series in the first round. So, And they're not going to play the Nuggets in the first round, not like last year. That's right. the other thing. Like our When we think of the Timberwolves, in every single year that they've been to the playoffs, except for like one, they've had to play dynasties in the first round, right? Because or the or like that Rockets team because they're yeah, a, they're a teams. bad seed going in. Yeah, yeah, bad, bad seed. They are a bad. They've they've long been a bad seed. Yes, but they're not they're not in the same spot this year because of mm-hmm. the work they've done. And then uh, I got one more for you guys. It's more of a historical one where Sports Dad can help us. Corey Larson says, can you guys talk about when the Timberwolves were stripped of five first round picks, the Joe Smith under the table thing and how it affected Kevin Garnett and the Wolves future at the time? Is that what set them back for the past two decades? It didn't really, it didn't like set them that, that Joe Smith thing didn't like screw the David Kahn draft pick in 2009. There's Joe, there's Joe, Joe Smith bobblehead, Joe Smith bobblehead. How about that? Look at that. Let's He's go. like, yes, yes, I got paid. I got paid. So um, actually, I think they were originally stripped of like five picks. I think they ended up, caught, I think they got two of them back. I think. They were stripped I, of three picks in the end. Yeah, and then the fourth, the when, the, when they finally got a pick back, yeah. they drafted Indy EB with like so, 20 So this is a great question. This is a great historical perspective to turn back the clock on Wolves history. And I also think it might explain some of the underlying tension that exists between the team's only real superstar and the owner to this day. Yeah. Kevin Garnett loved Joe Smith. They were buddies. Okay. And Kevin Garnett definitely played a role in saying we need Joe Smith and we need to keep Joe Smith. So Glenn and McHale, turns out, we didn't know this at the time, obviously, came up with this illegal contract that Glenn, it sounds like, had in his desk. That's a whole nother question. That's a whole, like, it sounds like he was incriminated by something he kept. I don't know. They paid Joe Smith outside of the structure of the salary cap to get him more money, and then they documented it. That's what they they documented. And and it sounds like they kept it. Like, instead instead of documenting it and then shredding it, or something they just kept it but anyway i'm willing to and this is completely reckless speculation outside of the purview of something that i've ever heard before but i'm willing to bet that some of the resentment that goes back and forth between taylor and kg and i'm not so sure that it doesn't go both ways like i know kevin's the one who's out there about glenn Mm -hmm. but i don't know that there's not resentment both ways i think it started there I think that's Agreed. where it started. So I don't think it's just the, um, I it supposedly started with the whole Celtics thing, and then when Glenn accused Kevin of sort of dogging it at the end of his Wolves tenure here, and you let I'm sure that that, but I think this thing was born out of that agreement because you can't blame it for all of the Wolves troubles, but it definitely showed some of the how shall we say the looseness of how the organization operated, which has bitten, which had bitten them in the butt for a long time. Yes. And think about this. So KG was 23 years old. It was 1999 when this happened. Mm -hmm. KG was 23 years old. So they had just drafted Wally Zerbiak. So their last first round pick before they got the rest of them stripped away, they drafted Wally Zerbiak sixth overall in 1999. So going into the next season, 
a 23-year-old KG. Marbury had already demanded a trade. So it was basically 23-year-old KG with Wally Zerbiak as his main sidekick and like Terrell Brandon as the third guy. Or maybe you could flip those guys around. But they they didn't have a fully formed championship caliber team because it was still KG and role players and role players being asked to do more than they probably should. So they were without first round draft picks from KG's age 23 through 27 seasons. And then they made the trade when he was like 28. They made the trade. I think they right. traded a first round pick for Sam Cassell and they bring right. in Latrell Sprewell. Right. But think about that. Like they basically yeah. in a, in a, in a time period where you're trying to add talent to your 23 year old, 24, 25 year old superstar, they're pressed up against the cap because of the KG contract and, and they can't draft in the first round. And you wonder, well, how did they have seven first round exits? Cause they couldn't add any talent. I mean, yeah. some of those teams KG was carrying to 50 wins. And th- there was a game against the Sonics right around that time in the playoffs where like Anthony Peeler had to go off for 29 points well, in a game for them to. Mm. And I, I think that the resentment between those two guys is so big. Like it's so huge that there's no way that, that we know the entire story. Yeah. Yeah. There's well, no I think, I think it's a, it's an act. It's a play in three acts, right? It's you're right. The, it's the screwing up of just the front office bumbling around well, and not, not building a team around KG and Glenn yep. Taylor was the main overseer of that structure. And then it was the dogging it comments when KG was on the way out the door to Boston that, right. And you tell, you tell a competitor like KG that he was dogging it. That's well, but I've always wondered what set that off because supposedly Garnett didn't want to leave. Like they urged him, you got to go, you got to go. And he's like, I don't want to go. So like, this was not a, this was not a, if, as far as I know, the story was never KG walked into Glenn and said, trade me F this. Right. So the dogging comments to me were always very odd, unwarranted. Like there was no, there had to be something behind the scenes that sparked those because they made no sense. If he had, if he had told Glenn, Screw it, I want out. Then it makes way more sense to be like, okay, that's why Glenn was mad. But this is why I go back to the contract with Joe Smith because there's no doubt Kevin Garnett played a role in trying to get them to keep Joe Smith at any cost. But I don't fault KG then for saying, you morons kept the contract. Yeah, but then all of all of this got essentially swept under the rug in terms of the relationship between KG and Glenn Taylor flip came in, right? Says, Hey, KG, we, we want to trade for you and, right. and let's have you finish your career here. And, and KG had some reservations about it, but flips like, Hey, I'm the guy I've got, I'm in on ownership here too. And we'll get, let's get you in, finish your career. And then we don't know what the exact promise was, but there was ownership discussion. Let's get you in. You can retire and then we'll get you involved in the ownership group. And it'll be you and me, baby. And right. uh, and we can be the successors to Glenn Taylor, and then Flip passes away. So presume I'm not saying they became like good friends, you know, Kevin Garnett and Glenn Taylor, but that relationship had at least smoothed over enough for him to come yes. back. Flip passes away, and KG thinks, "Hey, I'm going to retire. I'd love to be part of the ownership group." And Glenn's like, "Ah, that was never. That was a Flip right. thing. That was not." Right. So it went from from perhaps a smoldering like Flip had tamped it down, right? Smoldering fire yeah. to absolute gasoline, which yeah. is again a shame. The other the other problem with the missed picks in the first round was this. I think McHale had a pretty good track record 
of not really taking the second round seriously. So that's another long-term problem because we have seen that the second round can get you some pretty decent basketball players. And the Wolves were, well, I'm sure this was Glenn, but it felt like they, they were either selling picks and or basically Mikhail would come down from the duck blind and say, take this guy. Yeah, it was. I mean, well, the, the Spurs, didn't the Spurs find like Manu Ginobili in the yes. second round? I mean, there was over yeah. a 10 year stretch. Was there a guy you could have found to be a spark plug in the second round? In fact, we should find one someday. So, uh, Leonard Miller is sitting down there in Iowa. Right oh, no, now. I'm saying we should go back in McHale's drafts and see what second round guys oh, good he, luck. he didn't take. Oh, that exercise. Okay. Didn't take. Yeah. That's your homework for next week. I'll take a look at it. I'm sure there's a few. I'm there's sure definitely there's a few. few. Yep. So I know you got to get to the uh, the twins media luncheon here. So we'll we'll say goodbye on flagrant salads Howells. being served right now. I can't wait. Oh, Little side so salad, good, right? One tomato is my guess. Used to be two, but no TV contract. One yeah, tomato down to one tomato. Yeah. Onion out. The onion is out. Veggies. They're Maybe, like we uh, can't afford the onion that this year. A knockoff vinaigrette compared to years past. So, hey, thanks for uh, hanging out with us here on this Feedback Friday edition of Flagrant Howls, your favorite Timberwolves lifestyle podcast.